We're going to start this sermon a little differently than we normally do. Uh, normally, we just kind of try to get people connected with a, you know, a story or an insight, or you jump into a verse or whatever. But we're going to do something a little different that I think is really important that maybe we have neglected, uh, both as a church, but maybe as individual disciples. And, and I just, you know, I want to encourage, this is going to be a little strange for some of you, but I want to encourage us to kind of do this uh, both individually and together right now. And what we're going to do is we're going to just take a moment uh, and just be quiet. For, for just a minute, you know, awkward silence, I know. Uh, but what we're going to ask, we're going to pray in that awkward silence, and we're going to ask God to speak to us today. Now, m- maybe, I'm hoping, that God will speak to you through what I have to say, but that may not be the case. Uh, God may speak to you through something that you read. God, you may, we may read a scripture, and then you keep reading after I keep going, and that scripture that you keep reading may be the scripture that speaks to you. You may have an interaction in the hallway with one of the disciples and they say something that speaks to you and that you realize wasn't just them, but was God speaking to you. You, you may listen to a song and the lyrics of that song kind of just fill you with God's voice. And so what we are doing is we're, we're trying to posture ourselves to have that experience of God speaking to us today. And like I said, I hope that maybe in some way the sermon does that, but it could be a huge variety of things. In fact, it may have not, you may just think of a verse of scripture or some piece of advice or wisdom that someone gave to you years ago and it just kind of pops back into your mind. And I believe that is God speaking to us. So I'm just going to give us a few moments. I'm going to pray that for me as well, that God will speak to me. And I want you to do that as well before we jump into what we're talking about. So let's, let's just pause for a moment. You can close your eyes. You can do whatever you need to do. Uh, but let's pray that God will speak to us today. Father, we uh, anticipate your voice. Uh, We want to be filled with your spirit. We want to create space for your spirit to speak to us. Uh, God, I pray that you would speak to me and through me this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, I want to show you this picture here. This is a picture that my daughter Avery drew me. If you need to see detail, it's up on the screen. Uh, she was probably six or seven years old when she drew it, um, and it's awful. I mean, the, the perspective is all off. I, like, Corrine is as tall as me? No, that's not, that's not our family at all. I have Bart Simpson hair. That's not what my hair looks like. I mean, when did she look at me and think that that's what I look like? The color of my skin? I mean, I, I, I'm not orange. Like, it's totally off. I think Liam's, he's a little teeny tiny baby, you see, you know, and Corrine's kind of carrying her purse on her elbow. I mean, it's all off. It's all wrong. Like, there's, it's not a good picture. The, just every, and I, I mean, and I'm wearing like short shorts. I've never worn short shorts in my life. Look how short those are. Those, those would be inappropriate for me to wear in public. I mean, it's totally wrong. And so she left this on my desk and in, in my office. And, and I was just like, Avery, this is terrible. Take this back. I don't, I don't want this. Take it back until you can get it right. And then, then I'll accept it. No. No. This is a prized possession. I pulled it off the shelf behind me at my desk. I look at it all the time. I think about it all the time. When, when, people, when I'm on Zoom calls in my office, this is one of the things that people see. This is no joke. And I want to tell you, this is true. This is sincere from the bottom of my heart. I would rather have this 
than a million famous paintings. You could give me the Mona Lisa, especially those abstract impressionists from the 50s. Those are ridiculous. But you could give me any, like any famous painting, and if somebody said, would you give up your daughter's portrayal of your family for that? I would say, not for billions of dollars. This is a prized possession. Not because it's perfect, but because it's from my daughter. It doesn't matter that the perspective isn't perfect. It doesn't matter. See, how often do we as Christians say, I can't give what I have to God because it's not perfect. God's going to reject it. No, you are God's, pri- God's prized possession. Did you know that? The Bible repeatedly says that, that you are a prized possession of God. That the things that you offer to God, he's not sitting there saying, the perspective's all off. I mean, this isn't right. You prayed wrong. You tried to give, you tried to help somebody else and it it wasn't right. You got your doctrine all wrong. Come back to me when you get it perfect. No, that's the whole point of Christ is that we were imperfect and our offerings were imperfect, but God is a perfect father. This is so important that we get. Now, we really could just wrap up with a closing song right here and just be done because that is a message that needs to sink deeply into our hearts. That we are not perfect. Our offerings are not perfect. And that's, God doesn't love what we do for him because of its perfection. He loves what we do for him because it's a reflection of our hearts. It's so important that we get that. Your father loves you deeply. It is never been about getting it just right and you have to stop beating yourself up and thinking that it is because many of you grew up in a religious environment that said unless you get it just right God does not accept it and I'm here to tell you that is not the message of scripture at all at all at all we're going to be in a new passage of scripture and I just think this passage that we're reading just screams that reality over and over again. And it's an amazing text. It's Romans chapter 8. I'll, we'll bring it up here in a second. Uh, but Romans chapter 8. There's a chance that your favorite verse is in Romans chapter 8. Uh, that you may not have, and maybe it's going to be your new favorite passage because you didn't realize how amazing this was. But I think of it like, um, like a song, you know, that like always pumps you up. Like when you hear it on the radio, you turn, you turn the radio up to listen to that song. And you're just like, oh yeah, the opening notes, man, they get me. And then the chorus, and you're just like, ah, this is awesome. And maybe the guitar solo, you're playing air guitar in the car, you know, when your hand should be on 10 and 2, but you just get like wound up by this song. I think Romans chapter 8 is, is like that song, and I, I, I just want you to hear the opening notes of, of Romans chapter 8. So Romans chapter 8, verse 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Did, I mean, what? Did you hear that? There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You could just sit there and emphasize each of those words. Therefore, there is now, right now, no condemnation. I mean, that's so good. That is just so good. It's the opening notes of this chapter. I mean, do you hear hear the voice of God in that verse? Yes. If you don't hear the voice of God in that verse, man, you just need to like just silence those other voices in your mind because that's the voice of God speaking to you. Now, chapter 7 of Romans is a lot of what goes on in our head. I'm terrible. I'm unworthy. I'm awful. And then Paul gets to chapter 8, verse 1, and he's like, but the truth is, the reality is there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, there it is, that Spirit, we've been talking about Spirit for a while now, who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Sin and death, guilt and shame and 
oppression. The law of the Spirit has set you free from that. Steve tried to steal my thunder a couple weeks ago because he used some of these scripture references too, but I just think it's so good we could probably hear it every week and not get tired of it. We're going to spend, just so you know what's coming, we're going to spend a few weeks in the book of Romans and, uh, and, and then there's, there's some things that we have to hit on as a church. Uh, and then there's a couple other loose ends that I really want to make sure that we tie up in the Spirit series. I'm thinking that maybe in May, maybe sometime mid-May, we'll move on from the Spirit series. But honestly, I, I just want to be upfront with you because I don't know. Like, I feel like God has been speaking to me through this series. I, I think he's been speaking to you, whether or not we're, <laughs> we're listening. But I just don't want to stop before God is done saying what he needs to say. I don't want to interrupt God. And, and if, if we need to go longer with this spirit series, we're going to do it. And if you're sitting there saying, ah, too much spirit, well, I don't know, listen to some other podcast or something for a while because this is what we need to talk about uh, as a church. So just, just so you know uh, what's coming. So now when you read this first, this is interesting because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit. Now, we, spirit, we see that. We know the power and presence of God. We, we've kind of tried to come to terms with what that is over the last 16 or 17 weeks or whatever it's been. But what is this thing about the law? I, I want us to focus on that word for a second, the law. Um, what, is, what is the law? Now, the people to whom Paul is writing, at least a portion of them, are emerging from um, an experience with God that was, was you relate to God through this law that God gave. So they have been, their entire lives, their upbringing, their foundation, their connection with God what was, uh, was arbitrated through this law. You do these things, uh, way, the way you do them perfectly, you offer to God your perfect law keeping, and then God will accept it and he will accept you if you do everything just right, if you do it just the way God's supposed to, uh, God expects you to do it. So it's rules of life, rules of engaging one another, rules of engaging God, uh, things, rules for avoiding sin and, and the things that are, that are uh, tainted by sin. But then Romans chapter 8, 3 says this thing, that the law, this, this, in, in the Hebrew word for law is Torah, the Torah, the, the Hebrew law, For what the Torah, the law, was powerless to do because it was weakened by the human flesh. So there was some goal the law was trying to achieve, and we fell short of that goal, whatever it was. My parents uh, signed me up for soccer in second grade, something like that. And I was excited because you get, you know, cool uniforms. You get to pick, you know, your team name. And I don't remember. I don't remember what our team name was. It was something lame. But there was another team. That, their name was the Mud Hoppers. And I just thought that was so cool. Uh, the Mud Hoppers. And I don't know why, but that's just a, a great name. Now, I think I played defense on this soccer team. And the reason I say I think is because I really did spend most of my time kind of looking for four-leaf clovers, picking dandelions. I wasn't doing a lot, a lot of, uh, like, actual game playing, playing soccer. Um, and, and the coach, I don't imagine, you know, a, a coach of second graders, I imagine they're tearing their hair out, right, a little bit. Because there's Patrick, you know, kind of, like, on the ground, like, looking at this dandelion. And, of course, this action, this, the ball's going right by him and people scoring goals right and left. And so a coach, like a coach can have a perfect game plan. He can have a perfect strategy. He can have everything just exactly the way it's supposed to be. But then you got this second grader that is not executing the strategy. And so what's going to happen? Well, you're going to lose. And I, I don't remember what, our, our, uh, what, what it was, but this was back in the area where there were participation trophies. People did win and lose, and I think we probably lost a lot. Our coach could have this perfect game plan, and we would still lose. Why? 
Because what the second graders were powerless to do, there was an excellent game plan, but the second graders could not execute it perfectly. Good strategy can't overcome bad execution. The perfect law, the perfect set of rules is powerless against imperfect humans. We just, we come in and we're like, okay, I'll do this. And then we just fall way far short. So, but this is kind of important. I don't want to lose you because I think these, these details are important for what we're about to really get into. So we're laying a foundation. What was the law trying to accomplish? What was God's game plan intended to accomplish? What was that strategy for? What was God trying to do through the Torah? Uh, a few days ago, I saw this guy wearing a necklace, not, not a strange thing, but it had a Hebrew symbol on it. And I don't, I don't read Hebrew, but I could recognize that that was a Hebrew symbol there on the screen. And uh, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued by the language of the Hebrew Bible. Like, it's an interesting language, the way the words work and what they mean. And I thought, well, it's interesting that this guy has this single Hebrew character uh, hanging around his neck on a necklace. Like, I, I want to know what that is all about. And so, I'm, at first, I'm, like, pulling out my phone because I'm going to try to take a picture of the, the symbol. But then I thought, man, that gets really creepy really, <laughs> really quick if he catches me. So, I think, oh, I should just ask him what it means. And then I'm, like, I'm going through this thing where, like, I don't want to ask him. That would be embarrassing. And then I kind of wonder, like, was God telling me to have a conversation with this guy? Anyway, so I go up and, and ask him, and he says, oh, yeah, very friendly, very engaging. He didn't look very friendly, by the way. That's one of the reasons I didn't want to talk to him. Uh, but he said the word was Chaim, and it meant, he said, it meant luck. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And I, I was like, well, thanks for good luck with your day. You know, I tried to, you know, incorporate the language. And then I realized, wait a second. Hebrew language doesn't have a word for, for luck. I don't know if you've ever read the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, but there's no, there's no place in, in, in it where God's like, hey, good luck, people. I hope everything works out for you. There's no, there's, that concept doesn't exist in the Hebrew Bible because they didn't believe in that way of living. They believed God was kind of involved in their lives. So you can like do a word search for the word luck, and it's just not there. You know, it's just God's favor, God's blessing. But the word luck, and so I'm like, wow, that's weird. And then I have this recollection uh, of, of watching a movie, which I've seen many times, uh, called The Fiddler on the Roof. And I know I reference it in sermons, but this movie's so good. It's about Hebrew culture. Of course, this is a little bit more modern Hebrew culture. And there's this scene in the movie where I don't remember exactly what's going on, but they're having a toast, and they, you know, they, they clink their glasses together, and they say, L'chaim! right? Do you remember? There's a song, and I'm like, oh yeah. Is that, that, is that the same word? Do you, you remember what that word means? To life. Yes, life. I am. It means life. Oh, okay. So I'm like, you know, thinking all this out, and then I'm like, well, I better Google it, because Google will tell me exactly what the Hebrew word means. So I, and the, 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 what I find via Wikipedia, which how reliable is that, is that it means God's will. And I'm like, I'm so confused. Like, luck, life, God's will, like, how, what, what is all this, this, uh, how does this all, how does it both mean, like, life and God's will? You want to hear something super cool? I mean, you, you can put the, the dots, to, you can draw a connection here. God's will for you and the good life are the same thing. Like parents, you know that, right? When your kid's like, no, I want to eat all the Halloween candy in 30 minutes or less. And you're like, no, 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 that would not be good for you. That is not my will for you. In fact, it will lead to a better life if you listen. God's will for you to walk in his way and the good life are actually the two sides of the Venn diagram completely overlapping. 
Life and God's will, God's obedience, doing what God wants, listening to God's voice, are, the, are they essentially the same thing? Let me, let me let's check this out. I know this gets me maybe more excited than it gets you, but it should get you more excited than maybe it is. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Check this out. Deuteronomy 30 verse 19. This is Moses. He's given people the, you know, the Ten Commandments and all the other expectations and all the other things that you're like, why did the old law have that? What's going on? And he says this, he goes, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you, through the law, through the Torah, I have set before you, Chaim, life, and death, blessings, and cursings. Now, choose Chaim, choose life is what he says, so choose God's way so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, that you may listen to this, listen to his voice and hold fast to him for the Lord is your Chaim, the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What was God trying to accomplish in the old law? Life. That's what he was trying to, he was trying to bring human wholeness and well-being into your life through the law. That's what he was trying to do. And, you know, we hear the word law and we think like oppression and burden. But God's intention for the law was chayim, was life. It was, cre- it was intended to create this whole, uh, wholeness and freedom and flourishing. That's what God wanted to create with the, with the old law. And the humans were like, rules? <laughs> I'm out. And we could not execute God's game plan. That's, that's the problem. God had a perfect game plan, and we could not execute it. We could not keep up our end of that game plan. We could not do it. So how is God going to bring out life? He still loves and cares about us. We're not able to execute this perfect game plan. So what's God going to do? Well, how about Romans chapter 8? This is so good. Romans chapter 8, verse 3. Check this out. Now he says, for what the law, the Torah, was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. That's me, the second grader that can't execute the coach's game plan. God did. God did. He didn't say, forget that old law. That didn't work. No, we figured out how to do this. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of that weak flesh, that sinful flesh, to be a sin offering. That's that Old Testament language, that concept, those, those, those gifts that God was giving. Um, Jacob Hansen is a third grader in our church. Um, and I don't know if you know who Jacob is, but you will probably know who he is one day because he's likely going to be a famous hockey star. Um, and I don't know a lot about hockey, but I do know that at the end of a hockey game, you know, uh, like a, a basic hockey score is like 4-2 or 3-0. Or maybe like a really wild score would be like 8-5. I mean, that would be like, whoa, there was a lot of action in this hockey game. I'm talking to Jacob the other day, a couple weeks ago, and he's like, oh yeah, we had this game the other day that uh, our team won, uh, what was it? I wrote it down, 22 to 7. 22 to 7. That's a high score. And, and I was like, well, J- you know, Jacob, how did you do? How, how did you do? He said, I scored three hat tricks, which means three sets of three goals. And then he said, I actually scored another two goals. He scored 11 goals in that game. He's a third grader playing with other third graders on skates. Like, I mean, most of us on skates would be like, I'm just trying not to give myself a concussion. And Jacob's out here like, you know, scoring 11. He, Jacob, 
essentially won the game for his team. Now, the whole entire team got to share in the victory, but Jacob was the one carrying the team. He outscored the other team by himself. By himself. Jacob was the one shouldering the the burden of victory. Jacob executed the game plan perfectly, but then everybody got to share in the victory. Do you know what that means? You, you, Jesus, God's son, executed the game plan perfectly. We were just riding the bench. I mean, we were picking our nose. We were watching for four-leaf clovers. We weren't contributing very much at all. Jesus executed the game plan perfectly. He scored all the goals. He was the running back and he had the entire defense he was dragging into the end zone. That's what Jesus did for us. Now we all get to share in the victory. That's the wonderful thing about this, but it was all really Jesus. Jesus executed God's game plan perfectly and then we all get to wear the, the we all get to hold up the trophy at the end, uh, at the end of the, the, the tournament. We're all second graders, and Jesus is scoring all the points, and the final score isn't even close. I mean, we all win the game, but Jesus is the one that did it. Do you understand what's going on? It's not like God said, forget that old law that didn't work. God said, I'm going to send my son to perfectly keep it, and then you all get the benefits of it. You all get the blessing of it because he did it. It is done. He finished it. That's, that's, that's awesome. I mean, this is all so great, isn't it? I don't know if I'm explaining it well, but if I'm not, I'm just praying that the Spirit puts that idea into your mind. That is so great. And so when you offer what you offer to God, God's like, it doesn't have to be perfect because Jesus already did it perfectly. And I really love what you did here. I love my orange skin and my short shorts and my spiky hair. I love it. You are God's prize, God's prized possession because of Jesus. So when we read, do you see why Romans chapter 8 is so amazing? For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by me, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Wow, it's so good. Now, Romans 8, chapter 3, the second part of ch- verse 3. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. There is now therefore no condemnation because Christ condemned sin in the flesh. Verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. Go back one. I don't want them to see that yellow yet. Secret. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. So we get the victory. We hold up the trophy. We get to wear the crown. We get all that, whatever. We get to parade. Like, I mean, you know, every time, I know sports, too many sports analogies. But like every time, like the, you know, whoever wins the World Series or, you know, basketball championships, they go back to their hometown and they have a parade, right? There's those guys that did not contribute to the victory at all. They rode the bench the whole time, but they still get to go in the parade. They still get the ring. They still get that on their record. We, that's us. We were on the bench and we were like, oh, Jesus, because we cannot do this. That the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. Now, check this out. Who do not live... What does this have to do with the Spirit? Who do not live according to the flesh. What's that all about? That's weird. But live according to the Spirit. Let's, let's talk about the Spirit, right? We're in a Spirit series. We've been in a Spirit series for a while in case you forgot. The pursuit of life, Chaim, is the pursuit of the Spirit. The pursuit of life is the pursuit of the Spirit. All right? Now, this is still a little bit hazy. Flesh versus spirit what's what is that flesh I, I mean that's a really kind of old school churchy word like old school preachers sins of the world sins of the flesh what 
but, but it's a Bible concept. What, what, is, what is going on? So hopefully we know what spirit is, right? Spirit is the power and presence of God that God has said resides in you. Oh, okay, yeah. I mean, we've been saying that for a long time, so hopefully that's like sinking deep. But, but what's, what's the flesh? There's this contrast, the spirit and the flesh, the power and presence of God. So what's this, what's this other, other thing? Um, and I think maybe some of us have some notions of the flesh, right, in contrast to the spirit. We know that it's probably not good. If the spirit's good, the flesh is somehow not good. Um, but so it must be something bad, and it actually shows up a ton in this chapter, Romans chapter 8. So I think we should probably uh, talk just briefly what it's about. The flesh... You know, it's, that's what the, it's this, you know, my, my skin and bone and muscles and sinew and tendons and all that. That's, that's the flesh. Um, but, but the way the scriptures use it is it kind of exemplifies things that are in contrast to the spirit. Like, like, and it's not inherently bad. This is really important to understand. It doesn't mean it's inherently bad. It's just, it's just us. It's weak. It's, you know, when you get older, like, like I didn't mean to say this, but a couple weeks ago I broke a rib because I was trying to do something that maybe I could have done when I was 20, but I cannot do when I'm 43. And like, and only, I, I think I broke it. I don't know. I'm not a medical doctor. I just sneezed and about passed out. And I thought, I think something's wrong here. You know, did I go to the doctor? No, I didn't because I'm a guy. But, you know, who knows? I'm, at least I'm not dead. But, but the weak, the flesh is weak, right? Weak. Jesus said that when, the, when, the, when Peter, James, and John were praying with him. Hey, the spirit is willing, but the flesh, man, you can't stay awake. Come on, try to stay awake. The flesh is weak. It's not, it's not bad. It's just weak. That's, that's an important distinction. So it's not inherently evil, um, but it also is kind of our, our least noble instincts. Our least noble instincts are a result of the flesh. So um, in Galatians, Paul says the acts of the flesh are obvious, and then he lists a bunch of bad things. So it's not like when you, you know, when you go into a party, you're not like, you know, where bad stuff's happening. You're not like, I don't, is this God? Is this the flesh? No, it's, it's pretty obvious. This is, not, <laughs> this is not God. It's our least noble, our least, you know, um, our, our, our lower instincts, our basis instincts, that kind of thing. It doesn't necessarily always mean evil, but it's just not great. Like, like uh, spring break was, was a few weeks ago. You know, spring break in Cancun with college students, they acting out of the spirit, acting out of the flesh. It's, not, it's usually obvious, you know, when you roll up on the scene. Um, so, but when he talks about this idea, Romans chapter 8, verse 3, who do not live according to the, the weaker part of who we are, but live according to the spirit. So this is interesting because he immediately starts talking about the mind. The mind. Romans chapter 8, verse 5, those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires. And those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Now, remember, it's not strictly evil, but it's living from this, this flesh. Flesh doesn't always make great decisions. You ever go to the grocery store when you're hungry? You don't make smart financial decisions when you're hungry shopping for food. And it's not because it's evil, it's just you're not kind of in the best frame of mind for doing that. You ever driven while you were mad? You don't make the best decisions driving while you're mad. The flesh doesn't make great decisions. Um, have you ever, uh, have you ever, like some people, eat when they're stressed? Do you do you eat healthy foods when you're stressed out? No, 
But the flesh doesn't make great decisions. And so when our minds, and this is kind of important, maybe it doesn't matter as much, the word isn't so much mind because we don't have a good word for this in English, uh, but they had this concept. But it's, it's all about like your will, your posture, your orientation. And, and the best we can do is like, yeah, it's kind of the way you think. It's your mind. But it's more than that. It's like every, it's your behavior. It's, it's, the, it's the place from which you make choices. Uh, and it's, you know, it can, it can, in fact, the word literally can mean your heart too. So it's not just the way you think. It's just like the place from which you make choices. So it's those things, eating when you're stressed, eating bad when you're stressed. But it's also things like, uh, and it's pretty, I mean, it's, some of it's obvious, like murdering, stealing. I mean, that's pretty obvious, right? I don't think we need to say, yeah, those things are wrong. But it's also grasping for control when you feel powerless, that's the flesh that does that. The flesh says, I don't trust God in this situation, so I'm going to cling to something that makes me feel like I have control. It's manipulating people in situations to get what you want because you feel like you're going to miss out. That's the flesh. It's, it's decision-making with fear as its motivating factor. That, that's the flesh. That's not operating from the Spirit. And so, Romans chapter 8, verse 5, those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their orientation set on what the Spirit desires. And so, my initial reading of this is like, okay, so are you saying that um, I have to think about what the Spirit wants? It's true, but it's incomplete. It's, it's right, but it's not fully right. It's, it's, it's my entire posture, my orientation, my direction of life. Verse Rome, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 6, the very next verse, the mind, the orientation of a, a human governed by the flesh ends up resulting in death. That's, that's the end result of those choices that you make out of the flesh, but the orientation governed by the Spirit is life. Hayam! Of course, it's not written in Hebrew, but it's written in Greek. Uh, that is, it's life and it's peace. It's you experiencing life and you experiencing wholeness and wellness and flourishing because you are allowing your life to be governed by the Spirit. You want that. That's the same thing the Hebrew law was trying to accomplish, life. Now, now I'm, nobody here is like, oh, you know what, I'm really looking for turmoil and conflict and burden and death. And, and here's a little diagnostic question. If you have a lot of conflict and turmoil and death in your life, Maybe that is an indication that you are operating more from the flesh than from the spirit. I, th I think that's a fair question for us to reflect on. So, so let's get intensely practical as we, we're kind of beginning to wrap this up. So what does it mean to have our minds set on what the spirit desires? Remember, it's our orientation of will, our heart, our everything, our understanding. What does it mean to have all of that set on what the spirit desires? Uh, how do we do that? Um, for the last three months, I've been praying a, uh, some variation of this prayer. Um, and it's, it's just essentially, God, what do you want me to know right now? What, what do you want me to know just in this moment? And <laughs> uh, my kids aren't here, so I can say this. But there's been times where I'm interacting with my kids and it's not going well. Like I'm trying, you know, I'm not trying to, I'm trying to be that dad that's like kind of understanding and guidance and directing. I'm not trying to like control and force because that would be fear and so I'll <laughs> my daughter called me out on this the other day like I'm interacting and I'll just like close my eyes and I'll be like God what do you want me to know right now like how can I make a better decision than the decision I want to make right now so I've been trying to pray that just constantly every morning when I wake up uh, just thinking through what does God want me to know and of course it's a, it's, it's this what does the spirit fill me with your spirit what does the spirit want me to do and and then I I, I, I really try to do this. 
So many of our prayers are, God, here's what I want you to do, and here's what I'm thinking. And, and I think maybe our prayers need to be, God, what do you want us to do? And God, what are you thinking? And, and so I just try to listen to God. God, please speak to me. Tell me what you want. I want to have my mind set on what the Spirit desires. A few weeks ago, I'm having a text, text conversation with someone that is in a different church and they're struggling uh, in their situation uh, out of state um, and they've got this huge decision and we're talking about it and they begin to open up and I begin to realize like oh no I'm getting way over my head here because they're like explaining the parameters of this struggle that they're having and in my mind they're they're asking for advice but in my mind I'm thinking I have no clue (laughs) what to tell you and I'm, I, I'm like, oh, I wish they hadn't asked me because now I feel like I've got to give them some sort of like good answer. Like, what do I do? And so, like, I'm, you know, fortunately it's a text conversation so they can't see all the panic on my face. But I'm thinking, okay, you know, just pray. Maybe, maybe God will tell you, give you the right words because you don't have the right words. And so I, I pray. And then, you know, the, the thing I think is I, I, I still don't have the right words. And then I suggest to him, like, hey, why don't, why don't you pray that that God speaks to you I'll be praying for that why don't you pray that God speaks to you because I don't have the answer and uh and and I I said let's let's try that and there's this pause in the the texting conversation because we both grew up in religious environments where you didn't expect God to speak to you that was I mean that was he he did did he's done spoke (laughs) that's good grammar he's he spoke to us Back in the day, and we don't, he wouldn't speak to us now, right? Because we've all, we've got it right here. That's what I, I was taught. Why would God speak, speak to us now? But, you know, when you flip open your Bible and you look for the particular scenario that he's struggling with, that's ah, not in there. What do I do? And so there's this pause in the texting conversation. Um, and, and by the way, when in the Bible did God ever speak to people? I mean, oh, right, all the time. <laughs> all the time, Right? Now, again, is it going to be a normative experience? I don't know, because we, we've just grown up in an environment where we didn't open ourselves up to that experience. So I'm experimenting. God's been showing up. And, and so I say, you know, <laughs> let's pray. Let's figure this out. Why don't you pray that God speaks to me? Pause in the texting conversation. And, uh, and he's kind of like, his, his posture is like, well, I guess it can't hurt. You know, what, what does it hurt to try? You know, I'm at the end of my thinking, my rope. I've been operating out of the flesh, and I don't have any good answer. So let's try the Spirit. And, uh, and, then, and then he says he texts me back and he says, man, I'm freaking out a little bit. And I'm like, oh, is that a good freaking out or a bad? I don't, I can't read tone in text. And he's like, my son just walked in the room and he said, his, his you know, four or five-year-old son said something directly relevant to this situation. And he's like asking me and he's like, is that God? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think so. We asked God to speak and something happened. Something happened. I mean, now, I have been writing this stuff down for, for my own sake because this is not my normal experience. And, like, I'll even date it and write the time down because I'm like, am I getting, like, in a week, am I going to be like, that was a weird thought, what happened there? But I've been writing stuff down, and let me just say, this is just my experience, let me just say, when we ask God, when I ask God to speak to me, God has been speaking to me. If you'd asked me 10 years ago, five years ago, six months ago, I'd have been like, eh, I don't know. But I've been doing it, and I 
feel like God is, you know, am I hearing, you know, clouds? and you know, No, sometimes it's through other people and circumstances and situations. Sometimes it's like a, a, a scripture that comes to mind. I have this one scripture that keeps popping into my mind and has been for months. And I'm like, God, what are you trying to say? You know what that scripture is? It's out of the book of Samuel. And it, uh, it, it's where Samuel hears the voice of God and he keeps running to Eli and like, what do you want? And Eli's like, I'm not saying anything. I'm trying to sleep. And he does that three times, and Eli's finally like, you know what, I think that might be God. And so Samuel's like, hey, here I am. God, speak. Your servant is listening. And I can't, that verse, I cannot get that verse out of my mind constantly. What, is that the Spirit? I think it might be. It might be. Now, there are hundreds of objections. You, You probably have objections to all this, but I'm not interested in playing defense about this. We're on the offense here with the Spirit. We're working, we're rolling with the Spirit. If you have objections to this, feel free to come talk to me. But, I mean, there, you know, there are people who wrote largely of their experiences of not hearing from God. There's, there's a book of the Bible, the book of Psalms, where it talks about, God, you're silent, what's going on? I don't understand. And there, there is that experience, and I don't want to diminish that or discount that. There are times in, in the prophets where they wrote, God, where are you? That is an, a real experience. And maybe you have tried something in the past and you got nothing. And I, I just don't want to over complicate this because and if this is your experience even if you leave here today and you're like I, I tried Patrick and I got zilch come come talk to me I, I want to walk together with this I'll share more in depth some of the things that I'm thinking and experiencing but but I, I just think this is what it's all about in fact Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 18 now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you will love the Lord your God and it says listen to his voice Hold fast to him, for the Lord really is your life. Many of you have had experiences like this. Keep it up. Share those stories. By the way, those stories where you're like, I don't know, was that the Spirit? Just even walking with someone else through a story like that, where you're like, I think this might have been, that gives so much encouragement and clarity. It's so helpful to hear that. Because you may have a wiser, older, mature Christian say, no, that wasn't the Spirit. Spirit wouldn't encourage you to do that. And that's good. It's good to get multiple (laughs) layers of confirmation about what God might be doing uh, in us. But man. Just opening ourselves up to this idea. I, I know it feels vulnerable and weird, but they're encouraging stories. And, and one of the things, if you're like, I'm just not hearing the Spirit. Well, I can tell you, the Spirit wrote the Bible. So Scripture's inspired. So if you're not hearing it anywhere else, then you should be reading this. And if you're not reading this, like, come on. We know that. But come on. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25 says, be careful. It's not on the screen, but just says, be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. I just wrote that down because I'm, I'm reading through Hebrews uh, today. I'm reading through Hebrews and I come across Hebrews 12, 25, where it says, be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. And I'm like, yeah, I better add that to my sermon. I think God's given me some additional material. God longs. He longs for these imperfect drawings. He longs for it. He wants that. He wants that from us, not because it's perfect, but Jesus is already taking care of all that. The, the, the game is won. Game plan's been executed. You have the victory trophy. He loves this stuff. He loves your imperfect offerings because it's showing you the posture of your heart, showing him the posture of your heart. We're going to uh, read Romans 8, 1 through 5 uh, in closing. Um, we haven't taken communion yet because we want to reflect in the fullness of this reality that, that Jesus won the battle for us. He won the game. He won the victory for us as we take communion. So I'm going to say um, a prayer, and then we're going to take communion together. We've got a song that we're going to listen to, and then uh, at the end of that, I'm going to come back up and just uh, dismiss us, uh, and, and hopefully we'll go listening for the voice of the Spirit.
Uh, let's say, let's, let me read, actually, let me read Romans chapter 8, then pray, then communion. Romans chapter 8, uh, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Let's pray.